So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Today, I am pleased to announce that the government of Canada is launching its first phase of the inquiry into murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. It is time for a renewed nation-to-nation relationship with First Nations peoples. I've been really interested in the way that this has kind of evolved. I think five years ago, this was not something that anyone in the mainstream media was talking about. To my knowledge or understanding, there would be one-off cases every now and again, a really, really big and disturbing case of a woman going missing, of a woman being found murdered, would come up and it would grab the consciousness for a little while and it would go away. And of course, the trial of Robert Picton, who killed so many women, that was, I think, a moment where a lot of people paid attention. But of course, it was like, He was this really larger-than-reality figure. He was this boogeyman. So that can't relate to the big problem, right? Because Mm -hmm. he's just this crazy, you know, serial killer type of person. He's not representative of anything bigger. So it's really hard to, like, grab onto this and see this as a, like, big connected issue. I think a lot of that has to do with 10 years of conservative rule and a lot of the rhetoric we were hearing on the conservative political side, uh, whether it was on commentary or actually in question period, just kind of skirting this issue aside and saying it was not part of a, a larger systemic issue that Aboriginal women face, but rather a larger crime issue and that with the Conservatives' crime measures, this would all be solved. And I think we're really starting to see a turning point, maybe not a tipping point, but at least a turning point with the Liberals in recognizing and putting this issue forward of an inquiry and consulting with people. So I'm hopeful, but I don't know if that's naive of me to be hopeful. So there's this assumption that, okay, people are committing murder and... You can't really stop people from committing murder. It's just something that happens and there's all these perpetrators. But the fact that police have, in so many of these cases, seem to have done nothing. The fact that police are so slow time after time to respond is part of this issue because that's part of the sociological problem is that some people's deaths are really important and are reason for public concern and for following up while other people's deaths don't matter. Yeah, I know, and I'd have to agree with that. And I think if we were talking about 1,200 missing and murdered blonde girls named Amanda, uh, I can't imagine there not being a swift public response, either politically from the police or just from people rising up and demanding that their government and their institutions do better. So one thing I'm hoping to get to the surface at is to ask our guests how they feel that they've been treated by the system and if they're hopeful in the same way that we are about this inquiry or if they think it's just a lot of big talk and that they don't really, you know, because they've been filled for so long by their governments and their institutions, that the liberals right now talking a big game doesn't necessarily mean anything to them until they see actual action. Yeah, governments 
plural, I think is really important, right? The number of nearly 1,200 missing and murdered women, that goes back to 1980. Mm-hmm. So we can't pin this on one government. We can't pin this on one prime minister. This is a societal, like long-standing problem. I think something that I would really like to get out of our guests is the toll that this has taken in their lives. The emotional, financial, spiritual toll of having someone in your family, in your community go missing. People have spent days and weeks out along highways, around lakes, in forests, looking for people that they love who are gone. And I just can't imagine what that does to you spiritually. And as hard as that must be to talk about, you know, I think that's why we're here. I'm Supriya Devetti. I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. Right now, we're joined by three family members of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Jacqueline Crazy Bull was murdered in Calgary on July 11th, 2007, in a random attack. Her great-niece, Lauren Crazy Bull, is with us. Lauren is a documentary radio producer in Lethbridge, Alberta. Claudette Osborne Taya went missing in Winnipeg on July 25, 2008. Her sister Bernadette Smith joins us from Ottawa. She's been consulting with the government on this inquiry. Sonia Cywink was found murdered in southern Ontario on August 30, 1994. Her sister Maggie Cywink joins us from Meredithville, Virginia. Good morning to all three of you. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. We'd like to begin with each of you sharing the story of your family members with our audience. Bernadette, I'd like to start with you. Could you please tell us about your sister, Claudette? Um, Claudette growing up was just this, you know, little girl that was full of life, that loved to play, loved to laugh. She had lots of friends. She'd walk into a room and you'd feel her presence. She went missing July 25th, 2008. My other sister, Tina, and her were at a crosswalk and they had hugged each other and said, you know, we love you, we'll see you tomorrow. And Claudette was never seen again. And she was um, a mother of four. And, you know, we've we've been continually searching for her. Her daughter was just two weeks old when she disappeared. And the last known place that we knew of Claudette is she had made a call from a hotel here in Winnipeg and she was with some truck driver that was from Calgary. And she felt unsafe, that he was trying to push himself on her, that she wanted to be picked up. And unfortunately, those calls um, weren't taken off the answering machine for a couple of days. So when those calls were heard, my sister Tina immediately went to the police station and the police didn't take it seriously. Basically, she was told, you know, she's out there somewhere, she'll show up, she's probably just partying with her friends and... You know, unfortunately, it took them 10 days and political pressure from my sister's First Nation chief to actually start investigating her case. So by the time these police officers went and started investigating, they went to this hotel where there was surveillance video, and that surveillance video had been written over. And we had gone there, and they told us, no, we can't give it to you under the Freedom of Information Act. You know, it has to be the police that come with a warrant. So there was all this bureaucratic tape that prohibited this investigation from, you know, moving forward in a timely manner. Her case is now a part of Project Devote, which is made up of the Winnipeg Police and RCMP. And 
We get a call monthly that just basically tells us, you know, we're still working on her case. No new news, but, you know, we're still working on it. So we've been doing a number of initiatives to create awareness around not only her case, but, you know, all of the cases in Canada and to, you know, raise this issue to make sure that some action is put towards it so that other women are prevented from going missing or being murdered. Maggie, can you tell us a little bit about your sister, Sonia? Sure. Um, She was a year younger than me. We grew up in Whitefish River First Nation, which is in um, northern Ontario. She was vivacious. She was friendly. Everybody was her friend. Nobody was a stranger. Um, She was able to, I think, really light up a room and I think really give people perspective. And so she was a really good friend to people when she was her friend. And she had some trauma at a, a young age, at a teenage years. And I believe deep down in my heart that that was the beginning of Sonia's end, that she was, in fact, one of those individuals that was never really able to process that, and she never really got the help she she needed. So what happened was she had all all the things that lead up to the end of her life, Uh, Early pregnancy, she got into bad relationships, she got into the drug scene, and what happened was um, in 1991, she went to London, Ontario, and I took her there, and she was taken into a rehab program, and shortly after that, she uh, started attending meetings and straightening out her life, and she was doing really, really well for about maybe 14 months or so. Again, she got caught up with the wrong people. I do not think that that program ever really helped her deal with her trauma. And I think that that was, again, part of the reason for her to um, go back into the cycle of drugs. Um, A lot of our women have a tendency to um, support their habit through prostitution. And unfortunately, my sister was one of those people. And she ended up going back on the street, and she she went missing on the 26th of August, 1994, and her body was discovered August the 30th, 1994. She was 31 years old, and also she was pregnant, which is very heartbreaking, as you can imagine. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Lauren, could you please tell us about your Aunt Jackie? She was also a mother, and she was 43 at the time of her death. She was sitting on a bench in Calgary when someone came up in a van and asked for directions, and she went to go help them, and they stabbed her and drove off. Um, so she grew up in a big family along with my Aunt Sandra Many Feathers, who is very close to me, and Jackie was a very kind person. I I don't have very many memories of her. I grew up in foster care, but I do have like a few vague memories during Christmas time and a few other times. But I remember seeing her death on TV uh, in 2007. Four other people were stabbed that day. They all survived, but to this day, no one has been charged or caught or anything. And it's been eight years, I think, now. And her case, I guess, remains open. So every year we just, we march down the street that she was killed and ask for justice for Jackie. And we're still here waiting. 
Now, Desmond and I are looking at this issue as outsiders. And one thing that we don't hear enough about is how these conversations are taking place within your communities, within Indigenous communities. So could you tell us a little bit about how those conversations go within your communities and how they perhaps differ from what we hear when we turn on the evening news? Well, in Manitoba, we have a pretty close-knit support group of families. And it's really the families that are leading the way in terms of, you know, any of the initiatives that are moving forward. Because families have been saying that families have voices and they want to be the voices and they want to be heard. They don't want people speaking on their behalf. A lot of our community respect that and they come out and they support and they walk with us and, you know, they don't take over and become a voice for us. So that's something that we've certainly appreciated in terms of the support that we're receiving from, you know, the community, whether they're non-Indigenous or not. Because when my sister went missing seven years ago and we had our first vigil, it was our family at that vigil, nobody else. And I remember being upset and crying, going like, what's going on here? Like, where's our community? Why is there nobody here? And I couldn't understand it. And we fast forward seven years later with Tina Fontaine and, you know, when her body was found, there were thousands of people at her vigil. All of these plantings of seeds of family members through, you know, the last 30 years off the backs of, you know, blood, sweat and tears, all of the work that they've been doing those seeds are now starting to sprout. We now see this national inquiry that's being called. We now hear the Prime Minister of Canada acknowledging it, where this previous government was not on our radar. You know, you really saw the lack of investment in the Indigenous community with that, the old leadership, and now you see this revival of hope from communities and other non-Indigenous people getting involved and saying like, you know, I want to be a part of the change. You know, all people matter, whether you're Indigenous or not. We are all connected and this isn't just about Indigenous people and Indigenous women, but this is about all of us doing this together and moving forward together. Um, This is Meg speaking. Um, Thank you, Bernadette. I think you um, hit a lot of points right on the head there. My question is, why did our our leaders not know something was going on 25, 20 years ago? I mean, why did it mm-hmm. why did it take the families to come forward and really make an issue about this? Put it on the national stage, force the Canadian government to really take it seriously when our First Nations leaders could have and should have known what was going on within their communities. I mean, right in the Northern Territory where I live, there's 14 women all the way from Sudbury area all the way to Sault Ste. Marie and to Manitoulin Island, missing and murdered women. And yet, none of the Grand Chiefs, none of the Regional Chiefs of Ontario really made an effort to make this become something it should have been 10, 15 years ago. And so, our women continue to go missing, our women and girls continue to die because our leadership should have taken this long ago, and they didn't. And now I feel like there's a lot of leaders, I think, that want to be taking some credit for this, and yet it's not Mm -hmm. been those leaders that have really made this a national issue. So I'm very disappointed with the leadership, um, First Nations leadership in Ontario anyways, 
and I, I feel strongly that they should be taking a back seat in this, and they should really be mm-hmm. pushing the families and making an effort for the families to attend these meetings and to push for the government to come to local territories in order for us to speak and be heard. Mm-hmm. Lauren, how did you feel when the inquiry was announced? Did you feel hopeful or did you feel like this was just, you know, the government announcing something because of political pressure, but nothing was really going to come out of it? Um, For me, I guess I watched the announcement as it was happening and I really want to feel hopeful and I want I want us to move forward with this. But at the same time, I still remain very critical and suspicious of what's happening here. And um I want to make sure it's not just a big show that's happening and the families are actually being heard and actually being consulted with and making sure that we're not, with the inquiry, there's not more hurt being caused to the families who've already endured so much. And I think the big thing that I want to see with this inquiry is discussion around colonialism rather than uh, sexism and patriarchy. So um, when we talk about residential school systems and the child welfare system and um, how that's negatively impacting the Indigenous communities and how we fail to talk about that when we talk about these issues. This is Maggie Seiling here. There are 40 reports and 700 recommendations already on the books. There have been things already investigated in terms of the missing and murdered women and girls. I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. We don't have time for another woman to go missing or murdered tomorrow. I think the government should really look at those reports, find out what is doable, what can we do tomorrow. I don't have another six months to wait for the government to meet everybody and figure it out. Do 10 actions out of those 700 recommendations. I mean, there's got to be something in there that they can do at least to show us that they're actually putting stuff into action right away. Bernadette, I wanted to follow up with you because there have been so many reports into this issue. There have been so many recommendations into trying to solve the problem of women going missing. But now we've also talked about girls going missing as well in the child welfare system. How important do you think it is that girls be included in the scope of this inquiry and that we talk about girls who are in the care of the state when they go missing? Well, I think it's very important when we're talking about our colonial history, our people are born into trauma. And, you know, it's trauma after trauma. Like, I think of the children of the women who have been murdered. Where do their children end up? Child welfare system. They get re-traumatized in there. Often they end up committing suicide or being uh, exploited or even being murdered or going missing themselves. You know, in our family alone, we have four that have been, you know, murdered or gone missing, starting with Helen Betty Osborne. That case is historical, and they should have learned from that. All of the racism, all of the cover-up that went on, and the police covering it up and being a part of that, that hasn't changed today. You know, we're still dealing with police that are policing the police. We're still dealing with this circle of protection. And that circle needs to be penetrated so that the perpetrators who are directly doing this to our women need to be named and be accountable for their actions. I just get very upset about this because we haven't learned anything. You know, we're still protecting. We're still allowing it to happen. 
there's still silence in our communities. You know, we just, this week, Tina Fontaine's case was solved. We heard that name early on in the, in the investigation. It wasn't his name, but it was his nickname, Frenchie. You know, and here we are. And if it was any case that they had to solve, it was her case. Because she became everyone's daughter, everyone's sister. And I think that that's what our whole of Canada needs to realize, that these are all of our children. You know, we need to get back to the way that we used to um, look after our children. And it was really the whole village that took care of children. Children are not our properties. You know, our children were blessed to take care of them and nurture them and care for them, but it's a responsibility of everybody. I look at all these reports that have been done. These reports have been done without the voices of our women. So I think it's important, and I haven't always been for an inquiry, and the reason is because I had no faith in the prior government. I knew they were not going to put the resources that would be needed. I knew what they would do is pick and choose the families that would be consulted and say that they they were consulted and they did their due diligence and, and that wasn't going to be a thorough job. So I pushed for action, and I'm still pushing for action associated with the recommendations that come out. So as they identify them, they put things in place immediately. Not wait, you know, till that... Uh, the report comes out and with all the recommendations and start working on them. There's things we can be doing today, tomorrow, next week. Those are the things that are going to help protect our women and help keep these statistics from rising. So I think with this new inquiry, it's important to have families at the front. And like my sister said, our leaders need to take a back seat to this. You know, this moment in time has come off the backs of our families. Our leaders, you know, have taken a back seat and haven't been there for our families. I think of our own leaders, even in Manitoba, all of a sudden, you know, there's resources, there's money, there's all these things that are going to be coming as a result of this inquiry, and everybody wants to be a part of it. And it's like, well, where were you before? You know, we talked about 600 women, and people would say, oh, that can't be right. There's not 600 women. Here we are at 1,200, and all of a sudden, you know, people are going, wow, I can't believe there's 1,200. And we even know that statistic is is even higher than they're actually reporting. And the other thing is that report that came out from the RCMP, that was a blaming report, pointing fingers, saying their own men are killing their own women. Regardless of who's doing it, women's lives are being taken. It's not about putting blame on people. It's about finding solutions so that this does not happen. And just how can we support the families before, during, and after? Mm-hmm. I want to read you a quote from Jeffrey Simpson, who's a columnist with The Globe and Mail. This is what Jeffrey Simpson had to say about the prospect of an inquiry. And Lauren, I'd like you to respond to this quote. He says, quote, Aboriginal groups including the Native Women's Association of Canada and the Assembly of First Nations, keep demanding a public inquiry. What they should be doing, especially the AFN, is demanding a meeting of Aboriginal chiefs and other Aboriginal leaders to discuss what is going on in their communities that has led to the murdered and the missing. What can they, as Aboriginal leaders, do about this? After all, the violence is disproportionately happening in their communities, under their watch, among their people. Lauren, how do you respond to that view of this inquiry? 
I agree with that. I initially started trying to work on calling for a national inquiry. We actually took it to City Hall and they took it to the municipalities across Canada. But after doing that, I, I realized it was kind of just a political thing rather than helping the actual women who are going missing and being found murdered. So I want to foster the discussion in my own community. And I think we need to realize the importance of the Aboriginal organizations that are working on uh, making resources available for women who might be in trouble. Um, I'd like to say that, and this is Maggie speaking, I'd like to say that our First Nations leaders are disconnected from their membership. In olden days, we knew who the chief was. They had a relationship with the family. They knew who their membership was. They reached out to us. It was a one-on-one relationship. Now our leaders are who knows where. They're not connected to the communities and the families anymore. And I think for us to say that, you know, we need the First Nations leaders to kind of have this grand meeting. They have grand meetings all the time. AFN meets on a regular Mm -hmm. basis once a year for voting. Of course, they meet at casinos and places where they have a great time and a grand time. And you've got every counselor traveling to these places How about spending some of that money in their home communities to have a march, to do an annual event, a feast for our people, a feast for our women? How about doing something locally instead of running off to Ottawa or running off to an AFN meeting or a cool meeting or whatever they're doing in the provinces? You know, it really makes Mm -hmm. me mad that the resources aren't spent where they really need to be spent. They need to be spent with the families at home, First Nations leaders need to be in touch with off-reserve people, have liaisons. Half of our community probably lives off-reserve. None of those people know what's going on with anything that's happening on that reserve, except when it's time to vote. Mm-hmm. This is Bernadette. I'm actually in Ottawa, but I live in Winnipeg. So when we heard the announcement, and the reason I heard the announcement was because the news called me and said, the government tomorrow is going to make a public announcement about this inquiry. Well, I was fortunate enough. I have a good friend and she said, I'm going to fly you out there. You need to be there. So I come out, put on my Facebook or social media, sent some friends and told them what was happening. Like we didn't even know that this was happening so fast and they are moving so, so fast. And we're hoping that they slow this process down a little bit so that it's done in a good way and that the people that need to be consulted in the pre-inquiry part are consulted. And so we were at this AFN meeting. I didn't come in for the AFN. I came in for the announcement, but I went to the AFN because I heard they were speaking on missing and murdered. While I was there, two families came in on their own money. They drove in. They were not even acknowledged there. They didn't have any money. We had to buy them food. We took them out for supper. They had nowhere to stay. You know, thank God we have some people in Ottawa and they found somewhere to stay. But it was like, these are the types of things that our leaders need to ensure. Like they're there at this casino. Like you said, they were at the casino for this big meeting. We're talking about this issue but yet they're not acknowledging the people who are directly affected or helping to support those families that were there. I was just, I was appalled. I was. The other point I want to make is when one of our leaders in Manitoba made a meeting the day after the election. So they were 
betting that there was going to be a new government in. So the next day after the election, one of our leaders goes and meets with our Manitoba Premier. Right away talking about the inquiry, we want to be a part of it. We want to be leading it in Manitoba. Like, honest to God, I almost lost it. I was so angry. I was like, this leader did not go to his community and ask, is it okay if I do this? What would you like me to say? You know, would you like to come with me on behalf of the families? Nothing like that. They continually speak on our behalf. And that's the thing that needs to come out is that our families can speak for ourselves. And they need to take direction from us. And same with this government. They need to understand that they need to consult with the family first. Because it's our families who have experienced this and been living this day in and day out. And we're the ones that know what we need and what should be there, what should have been there before our loved one was, you know, murdered or gone missing. Before they consult with the NAOs, I'm not saying exclude them, but give the families the respect and the space and the time that they need before going and getting any other, uh, you know, recommendations or whatever it is they're going to talk to them about. This is Maggie Sywink here, and, and really to um, reinforce what Bernadette is saying, I was at a meeting that was put on by the Chiefs of Ontario back in February of 2015, and they invited 15 families to this event up in Thunder Bay, and they flew us all in, and it was done very well. The protocols were followed. Everything was good. But, you know, I found it really odd that all of a sudden the AFN leader shows up, Bellegarde, and... Next thing I know, we get an announcement that Justin Trudeau, the leader of the um, Liberal government, was going to show up to talk with us. They never invited any other national leader. Of course, Harper probably would have been laughed out of the room, but they never invited anyone else. And we were under the premise that AFN was pushing Justin Trudeau at that meeting, and they were going to encourage all First Nations people to vote for Justin Trudeau because he was going to put forth the recommendation to hold an inquiry or announcement of an inquiry of missing and murdered women and girls 30 days after he got into office. You know, I guess that that's the kind of underlying stuff that happens. It wasn't the families that pushed that. It was AFN that pushed so that. I just, I, just, sorry, but, I just want to be clear, Maggie, is what you're saying is that you felt at this meeting that there was pressure from the, the Association of First Nations to support the Liberal government because of their stance on missing and murdered Indigenous women? Even though the NDP had almost a, a, an exact view, right? They were going to also implement an inquiry right away and consult with families. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. The DFN was pushing Justin Trudeau at this meeting, encouraging us very strongly to support him and his government to get into office. And I just, I found that was like, um, A, they didn't give everybody a fair chance to be heard. And why was just Justin Trudeau conveniently in Thunder Bay on that week? We would love to hear your feedback about this episode. Now, last week, we spoke to Nancy Addison about bringing a refugee family to Jasper, Alberta. One of our listeners called in with this message. Hey, Andre and Desmond, it's Brenna Clark Gray from New Westminster, BC. I just want to thank you for this week's show on refugee resettlement. That story about Jasper was an absolute inspiration, and Nancy is someone who is actually enacting the qualities of Canadianness that the rest of us, I think, 
often just pay lip service to. And I think she should have the Order of Canada. She's amazing. Now, we actually looked online and you can nominate any Canadian for the Order of Canada, except federal and provincial politicians and judges. So a retired school teacher is fair game. If you have feedback for us, or if you just want to rant about politics, record a voice memo and feel free to send it to our producer, Kevin at CanadaLandShow.com. Des, here we got a new Facebook page. We do. We are on Facebook officially. Search for Canada Land Commons and you can give us all of your wonderful feedback about the show right there. If you'd like to give feedback in 140 characters or less, you can also do it on Twitter by searching Canada Land Commons. The producer of our show is Kevin Sexton and we thank him. The music was provided by Nathan Burley. We are online at CanadaLandShow.com. Has everybody subscribed to the wonderful newsletter, Not Sorry? Because y'all should do it. If you want to get at us, email the show. Find me at Desmond at CanadaLandShow.com. Uh, you can hate tweet me or love tweet me if you'd like at Sapria Devetti, And I'm not going to spell that out because that'll take too much time. You can subscribe to this program wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, since you like the show, support us. Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Candleland Shortcuts will be out on Thursday, and the next episode of Commons will be out next Tuesday. Until then, everyone. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.